Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for being with us for, uh, I thought we could say for the post-election edition of Political Rewind, but no such luck. The election is really still underway here in Georgia, although there is light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps. We'll talk about all that on the show today with our panel. Uh, Just a reminder that you can watch us on Facebook Live. Just go to the GPB news page and... uh, of Facebook. Join all the people who are now kind of become a really wonderful support group for the show. You all talk to each other on that page, and it's fascinating to read what you have to say about what you're hearing. So Facebook Live, tweet us at PoliticsGPB. Before we get started and I introduce the panel, a couple of quick notes. Um, I wanted to let you all know that on su- this Sunday, uh, I'm going to be out at the uh, Marcus uh, Jewish Community Center. The Atlanta Jewish Book Festival is underway. And uh, Kenny Leon, the uh, director who makes his home in Atlanta but is now working regularly on Broadway. He's got a Broadway show up right now. He won a Tony Award as a director on Broadway. Has um, invited me to come out and talk to him about his new book, Take You Wherever You Go. There are still tickets. I've looked at the JCC website in case you're interested in coming out. Kenny is such a fascinating person. So I invite you to join us out there. Go to the Marcus JCC website and you'll see a link to the book festival. And um, I think there are still tickets available to purchase. I'd love to see you if you feel like coming out. Another quick note, uh, you never know where you're going to find Political Rewind fans. I was at Piedmont Hospital this morning to have a test. And the tech, Rod, said, oh, I listened to that show. And I said, okay, that's great, Rod. Am I okay? (laughs) (laughs) So Rod and and, uh, Randy Yonda, Dr. Randy Yonda, thanks for getting me in and out of there this morning. And Rod, thanks for listening to Rewind. All right, let's move on to serious business. Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the AJC, is with us. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays. He oversees the Political Insider blog at Politically Georgia, part of myajc.com. You're none the worse for wear. You look pretty good. You know, we're, we, we are, what, six days, seven days away from Thanksgiving, and we're still eating Election Day leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> You're, uh, we're going to lose you for a couple of weeks. You're going to take some time off and yeah. uh, rest up. That's yeah. good. Good for you. We'll miss you, though. I've got to spend some time in the woodshop. I get it. Um, he, and sitting right next to you, uh, Patricia Murphy. Patricia is uh, worked on Capitol Hill for a number of U.S. senators, including a couple of Georgians, and uh, Sam Nunn and Max Cleland, and uh, is a columnist for both Roll Call and The Daily Beast. Hi. Hi. Thank you for being here, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Next to you, Loretta Lepore, a Republican strategist who um, I always think when I say you're a Republican strategist that really what I should say is that, yes, you're a Republican and you do that kind of work. But public policy is really where your sweet spot is, I think. Isn't that fair to say? That has been where more of my focus has been versus campaign trail. Right. Okay. Former press secretary to former governor and now agriculture secretary, Sonny Perdue. And Cesar Mitchell is back with us. Hi, Cesar. Former 
president of the Atlanta City Council. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's really great to be here. And by the way, Kenny Leon is a great, uh, great American, great Atlantan. A wonderful, wonderful person. And his book is just perfect Kenny. I don't want to over-promote it, but because it's written the way he talks, just down-to-earth, nothing pretentious about it. He just tells his life story. Absolutely. He's very understated, but he he is an incredible treasure. Yeah. All right. Let's get right to the big stories. Um, Jim, at 5 o'clock today, we expect that the Secretary of State, now Acting Secretary Robin Crittenden, is going to, she's given the counties a firm and final deadline Despite all the other court rulings, despite additional ballots that they've had to look at, she said, at five today, I need you to certify and send to us the results, official results of your election. And we expect, without something that we can't foresee right now happening, she will shortly after that probably certify that Brian Kemp has been elected governor. Right. Short of of any more uh, uh, judicial action? Or uh, uh, or new lawsuits, uh, the race is probably going to come to at least one in in one degree an official end. Okay. Now uh, that said, um, Caesar, Stacey Abrams' campaign has now got their battery of lawyers waiting for that moment uh, because it would be after the election, as my understanding is certified that they are preparing for the possibility of filing a really exceptional, uh, completely out-of-the-blue lawsuit challenging the validity of the election, saying there's been malfeasance, there's been uh, corruption and fraud that's prevented some people from voting, and essentially saying we want a new election. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, first of all, uh, you know, let's assume uh, that the... Uh, deadline of five o'clock a day is based upon some specific measure or procedure, or it may be the runoff that needs to occur. Uh, you know, I think Stacey uh, pursuing her legal options, I think is fine. I think that's fine. Uh, but I do think at some point we have to, to, to bring this to a close uh, from an official election standpoint. If today is the day, that's fine. But I do not uh, disagree, or certainly I, I, I encourage her to go and pursue her legal options. I think that's just what you do. That's how our system's set up. Laura? Well, I think to to this point, she has pursued legal options that have, you know, one, she's um, been able to move the bar and getting more votes counted. So, and everybody, you know, I think on both sides of the aisle, you've got to advocate for having all votes counted that are possible to be counted. Um, that's just how our democracy works. Um, I think in this next iteration that's being proposed, kind of putting up and put out there, um, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but as a layperson and listening to other lawyers and their comments on this, it seems she would have a pretty high burden of proof and that this could be protracted legal endeavor. And I think as a candidate, you have to go back to the premise of why were you initially running for office? You were running to serve. You were running to serve a constituency. So I think for her right now, the balance is what is in the best interest of Georgia and Georgians and what is and what is legally viable for me to pursue uh, in terms of a legal path. I think, uh, Patricia, that Loretta said it correctly. The bar on this, my understanding is, is very high. 
Uh, it's not enough to prove that some people's votes didn't end up getting counted. My understanding is that the statute she's working from uh, requires proof that there was a malicious intent in not getting a ballot counted. Yes. And I think uh, she's going to have a two-pronged effort if she pursues this. Uh, there's the court of law and then there's the court of public opinion. And I think that uh, she has been pursuing her legal challenges over the last uh, couple of weeks. And I have not seen the amount of evidence sort of raining down. I've been on these daily conference calls with her staff. Um, she's not on those calls a whole lot, by the way, which I find I'm not actually sure why she's not uh, running point on this publicly, um, but her staff is on. They are not presenting the thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of votes that would need to be turned up and turned around or even presenting multiple people who have stories of this is this happened to me and I know it was done deliberately. So I, I think this court of public opinion, as she continue, if if she loses the momentum on that, it's going to make it harder to pursue those court challenges in the way that she'll continue to need the support of the party behind her and the support of the public behind her, um, because it doesn't come without consequences. Uh, there is a runoff that's coming up. There are Democrats on that ballot already. Um, and also she has her own legacy to think about in terms of whether or not she wants to run in the future. How far do you push this uh, while you're looking like you want every vote to be counted, but not looking like I'm doing something that seems extraneous to the yeah. process? Jim, let's make sure we uh, set the stage on that. <clears throat> I think the last time I looked, she was some 18,000 votes short of uh, the bar for a runoff, pushing Brian Kemp under the 50% plus one that would call for a runoff. And she's more than 10,000 votes, I think, short of a recount. Right. And and so what that means is that if you're going in front of a judge and want to challenge the, the results of an election, you have to come up with 18,000 votes that uh, that were, were were affected by whatever uh, state action or, or uh, that, she, that she's going to uh, misaction mis that she's going to allege. 16,000 isn't enough, you know, and, and it. You know, okay. Let's set aside whether she, whether or not Stacey Abrams has ambitions for running for Senate in in twenty twenty. That's kind of extraneous. Right now, she's probably the most popular and thus powerful figure in the in the state Democratic Party, and you've got two viable candidates out there: John Barrow in the race for Secretary of State, Lindy Miller in the race for PSC, uh, and. One could make the argument that that both of those races are are, are phen phenomenally important to the democratic sense of making progress uh, for for a return, and if she does pursue this, then that then that then that then that that uh, refusal to concede becomes a cudgel that re Republicans are already starting to wield against John Barrow and Lindy Miller. Yeah, I think that's really an interesting point. That's one of the things she's going to have to weigh, isn't it, Loretta? Is she the leader as Galloway? She is, as Galloway says at this point, right? She's the most popular she, Democrat she, she, in she, Georgia. She's yeah. a national leader. Of course. Point. All right. So with that in mind, Loretta, does she play the role of party leader? And at this moment, hope that she can be of help in getting uh, John Barrow, especially elected as Secretary of State, the, the guy who would oversee the next election. Um, of course, the PSC race, Lindy Miller matters as well. So does she play party leader and work on their behalf and maybe gain some points with the party for that? Or does, is her determination to make sure that every vote is counted 
and trying to push forward, hoping she can force the recount, the runoff. She's got to weigh those two things. Well, I think right now she's weighing against perhaps, you know, Jim said, we'll, you know, put it aside. But she does have future ambitions, right? So she's she's weighing that along with what are her her um what is her role that she has earned and the cachet she has earned in this election cycle as a national and state leader for the Democrats. But she has had this long-term um, initiative, narrative around voting rights, which started back you know, in 2014 when she started her nonprofit, and then in this election cycle where she advocated heavily for, for voting rights. And she can take that forward if she works on behalf of John Barrow. She has a lot to bring to the table. And then and, and that's the Secretary of State's office. Not, you know, so if you put aside the political implications of John Barrow getting that office, which is now Democrats have a, foot, a statewide foothold to build upon, right? That's the political implication there, which they don't currently have. And then and then you have also the fact that it continues her narrative as someone who's fought for voting rights. All right. So, Caesar, as a Democrat, can I, before I get you, your, your comment on this, and, mm-hmm. and before I bring you in on this too, Patricia, let's listen to what Buddy Darden said on our show just Wednesday about what he thinks should be Stacey Abrams' next step. It's pretty evident that it's going to be certified in favor of Brian Kemp winning the governor's race. But the minute that certification takes place, Stacey Abrams ought to launch a campaign for the United States Senate. Never stop. Keep <laughs> using this energy. Keep using uh, these new voters. Keep using uh, the changes she's brought about, and they've been good changes she's brought Was about. That, are you endorsing in the voting her system. on this show? For I'm, saying, I'm saying that she ought to move forward, and she ought to run for the United States Senate against uh, someone who I think does not represent the views and values of the people of Georgia. Well, Caesar, what do you think of that? <laughs> well, I mean, I can think, I know that there are a couple of other Democratic potentials, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of whom comes on this show and who's a great friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I think the most important role uh, for Stacey right now, at least at this moment in time, and, and this is all about seconds now, is that of candidate. And that may be why you're not seeing her say a lot in this legal fight that's going on and a lot about this election challenge. Her the, the image that she needs to have is the candidate to become the next governor of Georgia. So you're not going to hear it. You're not you haven't seen her at all. And I think that's important. I think it's strategic and I think it's you know it, I think it makes a difference. Okay, but but, oh, but go ahead, finish. But 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 I, w- I would say this. I think there's a much larger issue at play. Uh, and I think, you know, with respect to the issues that have been put on the table, as Buddy said, those issues are not going anywhere. And I think she, at some point, whether it's as governor or if it's as a, a leader outside of public office, is going to play a role in those issues. The question becomes right now, uh, do we need uh, to get focused on the runoff and helping the Democratic candidates that are currently on the ballot in the runoff? And, and I think right now the answer answers that the, the jury's out right now because of the fact that there's still a potential that she could be the candidate. Now, at some point, that value becomes potentially problematic if she stays in candidate mode and it can hurt the runoff because it's only at this point two weeks right. away. So 18,000 votes. Let me just follow up with you first on mm-hmm. this. 18,000 votes behind in a runoff. Um, that's a lot of votes to make up. 
uh, at, at, under any circumstances, right? So at what point, and the election, if the election is certified uh, and, and Kemp is declared the winner, is that the moment at which you believe she should give this fight up, or do you want her to pursue that lawsuit as a Democrat who's been a leader in this community? Yeah, I, I think the stakes are high, and so in many ways I'm torn. You know, if you talk to—and I can't put words in John Barrow's mouth or Lindy Miller's mouth, but I think they see the value in having Stacey Abrams as a candidate in the runoff. There's some value there. But that value starts to diminish the closer you get to the actual runoff. Patricia, weigh in on this. Uh, Well, I I can only imagine from I I have not seen a group of supporters as motivated and as personally dedicated as I have seen, especially the women who have been supporting Stacey Abrams. So I'm sure it is a very hard thing to think about stepping back. Um, And they don't want her to step back, by the way. Her supporters are all all in it with her. Um, But I, I really do agree. I mean, time is ticking. We have a runoff coming up. um, And at a certain point, um, she's going to have to make this decision. Um, uh, I do want to weigh in a little bit on how Brian Kemp has been responding to it. And I have been surprised at the vitriol coming from Republicans toward her, um, toward her position on this, because after the way that uh, the election went after how incredibly sloppy it was going into it. And on Election Day, no visible face in the state saying we're aware of the problems, we're solving the problems, we're worried about the problems, we value your vote. None of that happening. The fact that it was such a, a mess, um, the way that this election was run, and now to be calling her childish and a thief. Um, I was waiting for a pivot of some sort, sort of a now I'm the leader and I'm a, you know, the gubernatorial pivot. I'm I'm looking forward to at some point from one of these candidates because it is still incredibly personal, very nasty. And I, I don't think that the the tenor going into it, the way the election was run and then this confusion afterward, I think is a very bad look for Georgia. And I think Kemp bears some responsibility for that. Yeah. Well, I have been struck by the silence uh, that I'm that I'm, I'm hearing from from other Democrats, from leading Democrats. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons I was curious uh, that Caesar's now out of office, but nevertheless has been a high profile Democrat. Yeah. Why well, I was interested in his position. Yeah, I mean, this. I mean, uh, uh, my colleague Greg Bluestein and I have been calling around uh, all morning and and. Uh, the the only one we've we've been able to find who can uh, who who is willing to 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 at least make his views known is is uh, DeKalb CEO Michael Thurman, uh, who told Mr. Bluestein, uh, uh, I totally concur with the notion that every vote should be counted, and going forward, the most effective way to do that is to focus on electing John Barrow as the next Secretary of State. Now. That's, that says something. Not exactly it, an endorsement it, of her continuing it, it, her uh, fight. But it's, 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 you know, it's, it's not weighing in on that portion of it. It's saying uh, the decision is yours, Ms. Abrams. Uh, it, and, and, you know, listen, I'm, 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 I've got a pretty good Twitter feed. I'm not seeing any Georgia Democrat other than that weighing in on this. What do you make of that, Susan? Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, there's a big, to your point earlier, 
for sure. There's a big difference between campaigning and governing. And I think that's what you're seeing probably on the Brian Kemp side right now. I mean, you've got the their campaign still in war mode with the Abrams campaign. Uh, and you've got Brian Kemp who's kind of said, I'm governor-elect and I'm going to start being the governor. But you're hearing less from him than you are from his campaign. And so I think if you're a Democrat, I mean, you're in a position, I mean, and this becomes kind of an emotional experience. Now, and, and, and of course, any person who's not in the campaign, if you're not Stacey Abrams, you, you know, you know, your emotions pale in comparison to hers at this moment in time. But you've got to really think to yourself how close this election is. Uh, and you kind of hold out hope uh, that maybe there's an opportunity to get this to a runoff. And so you try to wait as long as you can, not wait. You know, if you're kind of standing on the outside looking in or observing, you kind of wait and see, is there going to be a rabbit pulled out of the hat? And I think there are a lot of folks that are still hoping for that. And that's just being candid. And Democrats that are hoping for that. Yeah, but where's the, the, the rabbit? I, I feel like we're, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> we've had a lot of time for rabbit hunting. Yes. Yeah. Well, let me say this. This is an important point. And, and I, think, I think the rabbit hunt will come to an end. And it's it's going to come to an end at five o'clock today uh, with respect to the official yeah. elections process. However, keep in mind, courts are also sensitive to time as well. And so if there is some measure that's filed, you're going to see the courts move on that very quickly. But you do have a you do have a deadline, another deadline a uh, on, uh, for the December 4th race. And that is the, that's printing, the runoff. The, date. Right. The printing of the ballots. For those runoffs, uh, and as, as I understand it, that's uh, that's next Tuesday. Okay. So, in other words, and Chip Blake brought this to our attention on our show the other day. Chip Blake, uh, being Jeff Duncan's uh, now chief of staff, he ran his campaign. Um, uh, he pointed out, Loretta, that the longer this goes on, uh, the the Secretary of State's office cannot put together a ballot if Abram if if we don't have some conclusion to this race, some definitive conclusion, which hurts anybody who's on that runoff ballot, I well, would well, think. Well, then you might have some some more court action uh, pushing for a delay in a the delay runoff, in the runoff vote. All right. Let me go back, if I can, Loretta, because you've, you're a strategist. So you're Stacey Abrams' uh, campaign manager for the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I played the Buddy Darden soundbite <laughs> not because I was hoping to have him say again, uh, whether he thinks Abrams is his candidate or not, but more be, to talk about that calculation. Is there a calculation on her part? We've got David Perdue's Senate seat opening in 2020. He'll be up for re-election. Does she have to make a calculation about how a how she concludes this race if she intends to put herself in uh, the running? for the Democratic nomination in 2020? Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, I think her team, and it's an odd position to be in Stacey Abrams' camp, but, <laughs> advisor, <laughs> but, um, but I would say that, um, you know, I think it's tough for her current team that's been in this fight because they have done everything to leave everything on the field. And so I commend them for leaving everything on the field because as a team and as a candidate, you never want to look back and say, we should have, we could have, why didn't we? It could have been different, especially when you have somebody who is carrying the mantle for so many other people Mm -hmm. where they're carrying a mantle of change. Um, You want to make sure of that. At the same time, if they're looking out for her best interests, 
and if she does have future ambition, they need to start ex- explaining that no matter what happens at five o'clock, if she decides to concede, whatever she says at five o'clock, and I'm just using that because that's the deadline, it has to be very poignant. Not that I would doubt that her campaign would come up with anything less, but it has to be poignant and it needs to set a tone. It needs to explain why she's come to this point, what she wants to do f- moving forward, and she needs to maintain a certain um, elevated um, dialogue with the voters. And so it's really important what she says coming out of all of this, no matter which way she decides to go post 5 o'clock today. All right. I've got to get to a break, but Jim, to put a period on this part of our conversation, again, 5 o'clock today, we expect Robin Crittenden, the acting secretary of state, to have completed the process of gathering all the certified vote counts from the counties across the state. And that includes some of the counties which had already sent theirs in, but then because of court orders had to come back and add to that count, right? Right, right. These will be renewed, renewed, uh, renewed tallies. What we don't know is how long it takes a secretary of state to go over all of those certifications and then make the official announcement about who won that election. Yeah, but uh, you, you can bet that with the scrutiny that, uh, that Ms. Crittenden is under right now, yeah. that it's, it's, it's going to yeah. be done very deliberately, and it may not happen at 5.05. Yeah. Uh, it may take some time, and it, we may be going into the weekend. All right. Let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way. When we come back, let's talk a little about that 7th District race, which does appear to have exhausted, where they do appear to have exhausted their court challenges and the vote seemed to uh, have settled uh, the, the matter. We'll talk about that, but let's go to a break. Now is the perfect time to clean out the garage and get rid of that car you no longer need. You'll face the coming months with a fresh start, and by donating your used car to GPB, you'll even get a tax deduction. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. We're back on uh, Political Rewind. By the way, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, uh, we got the feed up a little late, but um, I see that any number of you were hanging around waiting for it to come up, so... I also understand, Caesar, that because we're only working with one camera today, you were not on camera that entire first segment. That's probably a good thing. I was. No, 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 no. You add to the glamour. You add to the glamour. Well, hopefully I was heard, but I was trying to get my lunch out of my team. You were were definitely heard. Uh, Jim, 7th District Race, Rob Woodall, Carolyn Bordeaux. Despite all the efforts, the hard work that the Bordeaux folks did to try to get more all votes. All the money she raised. Oh, man, she raised a ton of dough. But it looks like she's going to come up short. She's uh, behind by over 400 votes, and there really don't seem to be any more votes to count. 419 votes, yeah. and uh, Rob Woodall has pretty much claimed claimed the race. Uh, congratulating Ms. Bordeaux in very, very polite fashion. Uh, for for her efforts and uh, and uh, uh, politely addressing the uh, the voters uh, uh, and saying thank you. So it was. It, it, this is kind of the the uh, uh, the the political rewind version of politics that they're conducting in the seventh, if you will. They're trying to be. Be- polite, Genteel. civil. Thank you for saying that, Cal. I love it when you. I love it when you try to help extend our brand, Patricia. You know, Patricia. So here's the situation. 
assuming that that race is over with. Yes. Um, you now have a sixth district that's flipped and to Democratic and a seventh district that came within under 500 votes to electing a Democrat. Now, you always worked with senators on the Hill, right? Yes. Six-year termers. Yes, if thank goodness. Yeah, if you're <laughs> Rob Woodall, you better start your re-election campaign oh my tomorrow goodness. because they're going to be gunning for you. I mean, when you talk, you know, they have these sort of red to blue districts um, and and your shortlist and your targets. I mean, talk about a target on poor Rob Woodall's head. <laughs> I mean, he this is so close. And that district is changing so quickly. Um, it's changing both demographically. And I also think that their attitudes toward uh, the president in particular has been a real game changer in that district. And so Democrats are going to be, if they're ever going to stop spending money in that district, I don't know why, because I think this is very fertile territory for them. Um, on the other hand, Rob Whittle has never run a particularly aggressive campaign in his career. So I think he's going to have to start raising money himself. He's going to start getting on the air sometime before two weeks before <laughs> Election Day. And so I think it, this will certainly be a well, wake up call to him as well. But, but I think he sees the uh, election as a confirmation of his low key strategy. That's what he says. I think that's what he says. Uh, look, I, I, will, I will be well, very— Well, that's some good messaging. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be very surprised. Uh, look, I'll be very surprised if—I would not be surprised if he decides not to run for re-election. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I think a couple of things. I think if, if, if you look at races around the country, um, some Republicans— uh, or the Republican infrastructure may may perceive some of these races where Republican, well, Democrats outperform Republicans in Republican dis districts. That's just a blip. It's a, a momentary blip. Uh, I think we've seen that in a number of races around the country where the Democrat won and it's still a, really a Republican district. Even the, the governor's race in, to some degree is in that fashion. But think if you're, if you're Rob Woodall, you're thinking to yourself, well, I just won with one hand tied behind my back walking down on a Sunday <laughs> stroll to the to the ice cream shop. <laughs> Next time, I'm actually going to take both hands out and I'm going to put my jogging pants on and shoes and run hard. Well, you know, what's interesting about this. <laughs> I, I, what, one of the things that I think is fascinating here, um, assuming that Brian Kemp is going to be the next governor of Georgia, uh, the highest stakes of all for the governorship is clearly who's in charge of the governor's office when we do redistricting after right. the mm -hmm. 2020 right. census. But Loretta... Republicans, if they're in charge, as they are already in the legislature and maybe the governor's office, they're not going to get to do anything. Well, they could draw new lines in the seventh district. They could they could draw those lines in January, right? Because they did that once before. They, right. they did that a couple of years back, Jim. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's an unusual move. Typically, you wait for a census, but I suppose Republicans could try to help them with an early redrawing of the lines, move it further north. I don't know exactly how you do it. Well, they they absolutely could. That's you know within their purview. Um, they take kind of a PR hit on that. They but didn't. Did they take much of a hit? Whose district? Do you remember who they, they, who they, they did they, that? They, they, uh, they drew some lines down in Henry County. Yeah, right. And I think in uh, in the 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 Gwinnett County area of uh, legislative districts, uh, state legislative okay. districts, it did not work in Gwinnett County. Uh, it may have just staved off for two years uh, a, a couple of a couple of uh, okay. Republicans. I there. didn't mean to interrupt you, Loretta. Right. Well, I think Caesar has a. Um, there is some thought out there that 
some of these seats that were lost, particularly state house races that were lost in Gwinnett, Cobb, Fulton, can be flipped in the next cycle. Um, that's going to take a lot of work and a lot of conscientious work to do without redistricting. Um, and you, and it's also going to depend, because it's a presidential election, on the national dynamics at play at that time. Um, so there are a lot of variables involved. I think in the 7th District itself, you know, the congressional seat, there's going to have to be a concerted effort by the Republican Party in this state because we they they lost the Republicans lost at least a handful of seats. I don't remember the exact count in Gwinnett of state house and Senate seats. P.K. Martin only won by 51 percent of the vote. You know, Sharon Cooper won by 51 percent in Cobb County. These are slim margins and seats that used to be 60, 40. And then you lost a slew of open seats in Gwinnett. So it's going to have to be a very strategic effort. And they're going to have to be looking at candidates themselves. Republicans don't do that. Republicans, you know, we kind of open the field and say, okay, anybody that wants to run can run. Democrats tend to be more strategic about it. We're going to clear the field for, you know, our power player. And I don't know if we'll see that happen. I I doubt that. But I think that in some of these districts, they are going to have to think very carefully about the person running for the seats if they want to take it. So, Patricia, again, going that we got uh, uh, we, we look at the results of the sixth where uh, Karen Handel loses the seventh where it's so close where and Stacey Abrams comes so close uh, as a Democratic candidate to winning the governorship. Um, is Georgia turning blue? I think it's definitely turning purple. I mean, okay. for sure. I don't. Well, I well don't that's think... that's on the way to blue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. You know, I don't know if it goes. You know, so far to the left that then it is blue. It may just live in this purple territory for a long time because we do have such conservative districts outside of Atlanta, yeah. and so such increasingly um, progressive districts inside the city that are sort of spreading themselves out to the suburbs um, that I don't know that we're ever going to be a blue state. But for Georgia to be in play, for Stacey Abrams to legitimately put this state in play is shocking to me, actually, after the last 15 years. Go ahead. And it's because it's different. Let me build build on something that that both uh, Loretta and Caesar touched on, on on. on on whether a candidate actually actually will have control of his or her destiny in 2020. I mean, if take a look take a look at what happened on November 6th in the sixth and the seventh. Okay, you had Rob Woodall do, Woodall doing his Sunday stroll, <laughs> you know. Yes. But then you had Karen Handel fighting hammer and tongue, and I mean, I mean, I mean, she was a genuine pugilist, and the difference between them was what one percent maybe. A, a, a one and a half percent in, in their results, it, it didn't seem to matter because the overriding issue was Donald Trump. But then to that same point, you can bear John Barrow with Stacey Abrams, who ran two totally different campaigns. And he literally said, I'm a Democrat. I'm not going to bite you. Um, and then he they their results relatively close to each other. So it's well, interesting what's going on. Well, and another factor there is in both of those races, you have to look at the ground games that were run, right? And what kind of ground game was were the Democrats running? And what kind of resources did they put to that ground game versus what did the Republicans put to the ground game in those districts? And so you can say, okay, well, we'll put more resources to that game when we come back in two years um, and we'll be able to flip those districts and, and that'll be, you know, we'll, we'll be on equal footing then. Um, you know, either way, you know, Karen Handel is a hard worker. She is a hard campaigner. There is no doubt about that. She raises money. She works. She door knocks. She shows up every day. Um, and so, 
you know, there's there's got to be a lot more thoughtfulness and strategy around how to, if they want to reclaim that seat in particular, um, how they're going to do that. Caesar, I have to wonder, Cobb has tilted so far to the Democratic Party at this point that I have to wonder whether Republicans are going to put as many resources into that district as they did during certainly the special election and then in their efforts to help Karen handle or whether they'd rather fight somewhere else. And I mean nationally. I don't mean just Georgia. Well, I think you got to look at what happens over the next 12 months or so, kind of where the national dialogue goes. And let's keep in mind, I think, you know, the reason there's a lack of resignation as it relates to the governor's race is because the stakes are very high as it relates to redistricting. Uh, That is incredibly important. It has a 10-year implication. And so I think, you know, uh, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of strategy happening on both sides over the next 12 months. So um, let me, I I wanted to ask about whether the state is, you're right, of course, it's not turning blue anytime soon. It it does have a purple hue now. Um, Because uh, 538 did a really interesting analysis of governor's races across the country. And one of the things, you know, 538 has always called Georgia and continues to call it an inelastic state. By that, they mean, of course, that it really is pretty reliably red for the most part. Stacey Abrams, if she loses, proves that point. Um, There's not a lot of give and take between Democrats and Republicans statewide. Republicans tend to hold it. But they did find that Abrams performed much better. She overperformed compared to many other Democrats running for uh, a governor in other states. She here's what they say. She uh, they say that Georgia leans Republican by about 12 points in the data that they crunch. She overperformed, they say, by about 10 points, which means that essentially you have a two-point margin in there. And then she said there's only five other Democratic governors who came that close. Let me. Uh, I think what what uh, what 538's point is 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 that uh, the the, the George, is considered the Georgia electorate non persuadable. Right. It, it, exactly. It, 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 it had taken its. But okay. I, I was on. I was. Uh, I uh, was talking with Jason Shepard. He's the the uh, chairman of the Cobb County GOP. Uh, uh, just yesterday, and he was he was noting that that. Uh, Hillary Clinton won Cobb County in 16 with just a plurality of the vote. Stacey Abrams won won Cobb County with 30,000 votes. And his point was that Cobb County did not pick up 30,000 new voters in a period of two years. And, and, And that means, in his words, you had Republicans switching over to the Democratic side. And that that. That tells me that there are some persuadable voters out there. Okay, yeah, maybe in in pockets of the state, but the state remains uh, in the hands of Republicans. I mean, virtually, we don't know yet. We'll wait and see what happens in the runoff. But Republicans still control this wait, constitutional wait, 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 wait. offices. And, 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 and Loretta can can fight back. No, no, she can <laughs> respond. <to that. laughs> if, if, if you have good, quiet conversations yeah. with Republicans. They know that the trend is towards this state becoming blue. And it has it is probably going to happen within the next four years. What happened this cycle and, you know, a couple of last week really was unexpectedly early. 
uh, for a lot of reasons. But I think there's an, a, an understanding. I won't say resignation, but there's an understanding within the party, the Republican Party, that the state is going blue. Uh, yeah, Donald Trump has, has become a political accelerant, if you <laughs> exactly. will. Exactly. <laughs> you know what, Loretta? When, 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 when I, but when I hear Democrats say, yes, Georgia's becoming blue— I think of the line that's been applied to soccer as a sport in the United States. Mm -hmm. It's always becoming the next great American sport. It's been becoming that for about the last two decades. I sort of think that Democrats continue to say, oh, yeah, we're on the verge. Well, we're almost on the verge. Now, the demographics seem to suggest that's true. Right. But four years, that's a pretty optimistic statement from Caesar Mitchell. Well, when Kasim <laughs> Reed came into office, I remember him projecting that Georgia would turn blue in 2018, and here we are. So, um, you know, it kind of is a, uh, a, a wishful thinking prophecy. Um, but, but I will say that I think what Georgia, Georgia voters in particular are doing, to Jim's point about Cobb, is that they are looking more closely because you're looking at women as the majority of voters. And when you look at the in, in Metro specifically and you look at the Northern Arc and you look where seats flipped, women had a huge impact um, this cycle in those races. And women have become much more sophisticated consumers of politics in general. And they've become much more active in politics than ever before on both sides of the aisle. And so I think what women are looking for, they are going to be issue driven and they are going to be candidate driven. They are not going to be party driven. I, oh, Patricia, you want to jump in? Uh, I do. I, I think Georgia should now be classified as a battleground rather than purple. This is where fights will happen and are worth fighting for both parties. Um, and I totally agree um, about women voters. And I can tell you from going out on the trail and covering these races again and again and again in Georgia, and I always, they always, I get assigned the story, can Georgia go blue? Who's going to do it? Jason Carter? Wow. You know, <laughs> no. The voters are different in Georgia now. It used to be sort of an open and shut case. Okay, the Republicans have the infrastructure. They have the voters who care. They have the activists who go to their Republican breakfast on the third Saturday at Bob's Biscuit Barn, you know. And now now women in particular are not sitting on the sidelines anymore. I talked to women voters and activists in particular who they used to say, oh, I, I can't be at that meeting because you know what? Actually, I got to take my kids to soccer. And now they're like, they literally rented a bounce house, put their kids in the bounce house and then worked out which doors they're going to knock on. Like it's a different day. The voters in Georgia are not the same All anymore. Right, that's, okay. I've got to take a break. Uh, we can continue this conversation uh, when we come back. You're listening to Political Rewind. I'm Ira Plato. This week on Science Friday, it's a Sonar Smackdown. Team Bat takes on Team Dolphin for the title of Best Sonar in the Animal Kingdom. It's the echolocation matchup you've been waiting to hear. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. It's this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. Going around the table in our studio today, Cesar Mitchell, Loretta Lepore, Patricia Murphy, and Jim Galloway are uh, with us for the show. Um, can we move on? Everybody all set to take on another subject? All right, they're moving. They're down at the state capitol. Uh, special session is underway. We'll talk in a minute about the um, governor's proposal and how it's moving on hurricane relief. It's moving well. And also on the Delta uh, fuel tax. 
But look, let's spend a couple more minutes talking about what happened to State Senator Nakima Williams on Tuesday. There were a group of um, activists at the Capitol on the first day of the legislative session, about 100 of them. They were uh, fired up about keeping the election going, making sure all votes are counted. They were in the rotunda, which is on the second floor. For those of you who haven't been down there, the legislature meets on the third floor. They were making enough noise that they were heard in the chambers. And so the uh, police uh, tried to break up the protest, if you would call it that, the activism, and in the process made, of, of those 100 people arrested, 15 people. One of them, State Senator Nakima Williams, um, she, first of all, Caesar, there's a statute that says while you're in session, you can't arrest a legislator. So, you know. I mean, she was in her house, that is, you know, the people's house in her official capacity and uh, exercising her rights as a state legislature, uh, le- legislator. I think it's uh, highly unfortunate uh, that she was arrested. And then there were other state legislators that were there who didn't who get her. Yeah, right. and that became a question. I mean, yeah. Nakeem Williams is an African-American woman. And uh, she's a leader in the party, uh, too, yes. and um, the Democratic Party. So Robert Jimison uh, uh, got... Uh, Senator Williams on the phone a little while ago so that we could uh, talk to her just briefly about all this. And and one of the questions I asked her was, um, you know, what kind of support is she getting from her colleagues in the House (coughs) and the Senate? Because there's been some talk that Republicans have basically backed away and don't want to have anything to do with this. Let's listen to what she told us. Some of our Republican colleagues who might be fearful of speaking out publicly, but have come to me privately and expressed their concerns and have expressed how they don't feel like this should have happened. But I think they're afraid to say anything that makes them look anti-law enforcement. And I don't think standing up for free speech, standing up for your colleagues to stand with our constituents is in any way adversary to law enforcement. And so I wish someone would publicly say something to stand in my defense because it was me on Tuesday. But it could be them next week. And I promise you I'll stand with them because that's the person that I am. I am here to uplift the voice of those people that feel like they've been unheard and unseen for far too long in this political process. And sometimes that comes in the form of elected officials. Jim, State Senator Nakima Williams. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of, of Tim Scott in, in 2016 or when he was or when he first went to the Senate. And uh, from, he's, he's from South Carolina. South Carolina. He's an African-American, African-American Repo- Republican. Republican. Senator, Senator, yeah. And, and uh, he spoke of, of constantly getting stopped by the state capitol police because they couldn't imagine him being, being who he said he was. Even when he wore that, the you know you you you're given a little medallion uh, that that you that you put on your lapel that declares yourself a, a, a U.S. senator. That's what this that's what this reminds me of, and it feels like that's what happened. To me, it seems worse because um, and what happened to Senator Scott is. Uh, so unfortunate. And I think happily, <clears throat> obviously, we all know who he is and all the Capitol Police now know who he is. Um, for Nakima Williams, she was taken to jail and strip searched. They knew that she was a state senator. The police could hear her say, 
I'm a, I'm a senator from District 39. They, they were all standing around her. And I watched the video of her. And a lot of times public figures um, will deliberately, and it's not a surprise, they'll have a demonstration. They expect to get arrested. OK, let's go. You're all getting arrested. OK. You know, she was standing in this video, just standing, not yelling, not shaking her fist, not making a, any kind of I don't even know where the protest was was well, happening and with her. She was just standing next to her constituents um, and very disturbing. I think Casey Cagle has said that he wants to look into it. Yeah, wants, he has said that. Wants an investigation. Yeah. But I've to me, it is I'm surprised it hasn't gotten more national attention because it's very disturbing. It, it has gotten some national attention. Um, Caesar, it. Uh, it doesn't, you know, the fact that this is an African-American senator uh, really raises all sorts of troubling uh, uh, possibilities. But here's what I wonder about. You're Brian Kemp. You, you get the election certified. If you want to start healing this state, bringing it together, what could be better than a Brian Kemp as governor-elect uh, reaching out to her and uh, – telling her uh, that you're concerned about the incident itself. In other words, at what point, you know, we talked earlier about a pivot. Mm-hmm. This is a moment you could make a pivot. Absolutely. Nakima Williams is a winner, and she's someone who is tough as nails. Uh, she's a mother. She's a wife. She's a leader in the community. She's a, a public figure and a leader, and she is going to win in this instance. And I think it's unfortunate for anyone uh, to suggest that they are afraid of, of how law enforcement might perceive them. Uh, I think if you are a senator, a public figure, you should be standing up uh, on her behalf, regardless of whether or not you're a Republican. Yeah, or a Democrat. you know, we know, Loretta, we all know legislators on both sides <laughs> of the aisle down there, and we know that there are many very fine people, regardless of their party label. Mm-hmm. This is a moment when being a fine person, no matter which party you represent, really matters. Yes. It does. And uh, Senator Williams is my senator, my state senator. And um, so I'm sad to see this happen to her. And I know that she was wearing her badge, state Senate badge, when she was arrested. So there should be no mistake that she was a sitting state senator. Um, And, you know, you know, as a Republican, I'm glad that and, and I do hope that Stacey, uh, rather uh, Casey Cagle goes through with this investigation, because I think we do need to know why this happened and so that it's never repeated again. Um, and I do think there is opportunity here to um, go to move across lines. This is not something that should be um, a, a Republican or a Democratic issue. This is uh, this is a human issue. Yeah. And let me let me come back. Because you, I kind of didn't answer your question. You asked me about whether uh, this is an opportunity for Brian Kemp. Yeah. The answer to that is yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, I think it's not only an opportunity just as a human being, but politically it's an opportunity for him. You know, if he is certified as a governor and becomes a governor, he's going to be the governor for the next four years in what will be a politically tumultuous environment. Uh, and he has an opportunity to show the citizens of Georgia who he is, particularly to the extent that what's been portrayed about him uh, up to now is not consistent with who he is. Jim, uh, we've only got a couple of minutes. Very quickly, Nakeem Williams uh, has not called attention to the fact she, she has not said, I think this happened because I'm African-American. I asked her that question during the interview. We didn't play it, but she, she won't go there. 
probably not a, probably smart not to go there for a lot of reasons. It's, uh, she doesn't have to say say that. Right. Um, okay. We've just enough time to say, Jim, because we talked about it at the very top of the show. The legislature, things are moving along. The package of some almost $500 million in hurricane relief for those hard-hit areas of South Georgia uh, seems to be moving along. It passed through the House. It should be done on Monday. Completely passed. And the Delta fuel tax doesn't seem to be conjuring up the kind of opposition some had expected it would. No, no. We are past the election. And this is what happens when you get when you when you get past past an election. You don't have you don't have a lieutenant governor who's trying to earn points with the NRA, so so he doesn't sabotage the uh, a tax break. Uh, you don't have you, you don't have uh, individual House members or Senate members who are th- feel their primary uh, positions in a Republican primary are threatened. So so it's it's going to go through. Right. By the way, you can always count on Galloway to kick a man when he's down. Poor Casey <laughs> Cagle. <laughs> All right, look, we are completely out of time uh, for today's show. I really appreciate Cesar Mitchell, Loretta Lapore, Patricia Murphy. Galloway, you deserve a vacation, and I'm glad you're getting one, but we'll miss you while you're gone. And I will be listening. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, then, good, because Monday, former Secretary of State Kathy Cox is going to be here. Uh, She'll have some observations to make about how she saw this entire election unfold, including whether Secretary of State should recuse him or herself when they are an active candidate. And we'll get to that on Monday. Stacey Evans will be here on Monday as well. And Heath Garrett comes back for the show that day. So we look forward to seeing you all then. Just to tell you, we're not going to do the TV show Sunday morning because, as you know, we record it ahead of time. And are you kidding? We have no idea what's going to happen between this afternoon and Sunday with this election. So just join us Monday for more of Political Rewind on the radio. We'll see you then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.